This podcast is proudly produced and presented by the Zoomer Podcast Network, home of great podcasts like Marilyn Lightstone Reads, Idea City on the Air, and The Garden Show. You're listening to an exclusive podcast of Finding Your Bliss with host Judy Liebrach, heard every Saturday at 1 p.m. on Zoomer Radio. We are back, and this is Finding Your Bliss, and you are listening to my interview with author Jack Canfield. I, I often think, and I thought so much when I when I even reread the book before this interview about my late father when I read your your book, The Success Principles, as he was mm-hmm. a very successful and wonderful human being who became an Order of Canada, was a highly respected man and a, and a real class act. Dan Sullivan talks about some of the characteristics of a class act. What are some of these characteristics? Well, I think one of the big characteristics is having integrity. You know, that you you give your word, you keep your word. People can count on you for that. And um, you stand in, in, in your integrity. There's so little integrity today. You know, everyone's lying. We talk about fake news and stuff like that to a, as a way of like avoiding what it is that we want to be responsible for. I think you have to have high standards and li- let people know what your standards are. You know, are you committed to excellence? Are you committed to service? Are you committed to uh, keeping your word? Uh, And whatever those standards are that you have for yourself, you want to hold other people to those standards as well. I think, you know, having grace under pressure, a lot of people just get really ticked off when they get pressure. You know, can you learn to stay calm? Someone said the other day, you know, it's easy to be calm when everything around you is perfectly ordered and clean and everything's all right. But can you so be true. calm on the, the 405 or whatever, the Trans-Canada <laughs> Highway when it's all blocked up, you know? Yes. And so learning to to be dignified, to have the ability to stay centered, that's where I think meditation comes in really importantly. I'm and I think, yeah. And anytime you help other people, you know, like I've, I'm committed to serving people. So are you. Your father obviously was if he w- if he got that honor. Um, yeah. And I think, you know, I when I was a Boy Scout, they always said, leave the place you camped cleaner than when you found it. Mm. And so you're always committed to improving the quality of everything you are involved with, you know, it goes back to the first question you asked about responsibility. Don't be a blamer, a complainer and a, an excuse maker, you know, class acts don't do that. You know, we think of people like uh, Jimmy Stewart and today uh, people like Tom Hanks, we think of them as class acts. Mm-hmm. Why? You know, they're calm, they're talented, they're generous, they're, um, you know, committed to making a difference. They're, they're good at their craft. I mean, they're just class acts. I, I'm remembering a story I put in the book about uh, Pat Riley, who was the coach of the uh, uh, Lakers uh, in a, at one time, but then he was down with the um, Miami Heat. And there was a playoff game and his team lost. And what he did was he invited the entire visiting team to his house for dinner. <laughs> and barbecue and, and drinks. That's, so that's a that's a class that. act. No? That's a class act. Yeah, exactly. I love that story. I love the quote that Mother Teresa is famous for, never leave anyone without making them feel better and happier than they were before they were with you. And there's no question that when we serve and everything you're talking about, we're often at our happiest and at our best. Can you speak about service and why it is so fundamental to our happiness and well-being? Well, I wrote a book once with the Chicken Soup books called Chicken Soup for the Volunteer Soul. And as we collected stories for that book, the one quote that came up over and over and over in every one of those stories was, 
I got so much more out of it than I ever gave. <laughs> One story is that I, I share in a book is about a guy named Ken Baring who uh, was at one time the co-owner of the Seattle Seahawks football team. And he was worth $600 million and he was not happy. And so he said his, his life went through four stages. The first stage was called stuff. He thought, if I have all the right stuff, I will be happy. And um, he had all the things you could want, private jet, private yacht. He had an exotic car collection. He had a home theater like you see in the movies that are owned by the movie producers, the movie stars. And his wife had all the jewelry she could want. They traveled. He wasn't happy. He said, I went through the next stage called better stuff. So he bought a bigger plane, a bigger boat, more cars, you know, a bigger house. Still wasn't happy. Third stage, he called different stuff. So maybe I'm buying the wrong stuff. So he bought the Seattle Seahawks football team thinking if I own a football team, I'm going to be happy. I get to sit in the owner's box, go to the games, go in the dressing room when I want, get interviewed by the local press. Still wasn't happy. And then this friend of his called him and said, I'm flying over in his own private jet. He's good. I'm flying over to Bosnia, Herzegovina, and I'm going to take 40 wheelchairs to kids who lost their legs in the landmines or, you know, maybe they're born congenitally that way. Would you like to come? And he said, Absolutely. So they get on the plane, they fly over, they land, and there's 40 kids lined up on the tarmac, and they unload all the wheelchairs, and they're putting these kids in the wheelchairs, and the kids are just so happy that they now have to not drag themselves around. He's picking up this one 11-year-old boy, putting him in a chair, and as he goes to leave to get another wheelchair, the boy grabs his leg and says, please don't go yet. And, And through an interpreter and through tears, he said, please don't leave yet. I want to memorize your face. So when we meet again in heaven, I can thank you one more time. Oh, dear. And he said, he said, that was the first moment of pure joy in my life. <laughs> he came back. He started the Ken Baring Wheelchair Foundation. I think he's given away about a million wheelchairs around the world. And um, he said, I've never been happier. And so, and that's, I hear that story over and over and over. People who start schools in Africa, they go visit the kids and they come back transformed because of what they've seen happen. It's so fulfilling when you're serving. Now you don't have to go to Africa. You don't have to like give away a million wheelchairs, but ask yourself, who can I serve? Just, just yesterday I was talking to a woman. She said, I was walking down the street and I saw a homeless person. And normally I avoid them. I feel, you know, shamed, embarrassed. I don't know what to say or do. So I just decided I'm going to talk to this person for half an hour. And she talked to him, found that he's a normal person. And she said, what do you need? What could I get for you? He said, I need a piece of paper, a pen, an envelope, and a stamp. I want to send my mother a letter. And she said, oh, my God. Never thinking. We always think they just want alcohol or a meal or something. And she said, he's a human being. And so based on that one thing, she decided to create a project that she's now doing where getting homeless people. And she goes out every week and talks with homeless people. She's making sure they get a shower. She's arranged people to give them haircuts. <laughs> and she said, I've never been happier. Isn't that so wonderful? Jack, mm-hmm. what has driven you? Well, one of my friends says, you want to go mad, M-A-D. <laughs> go make a difference. Make so I, I don't know. I've always just gotten joy out of achieving things, number one, and also uh, making a difference in the lives of people, having them be happier, more fulfilled. My first job was teaching high school kids, and I watched their eyes light up. I watched their brains kind of awaken, and I thought, this is cool. I love this. <laughs> and so I've never stopped. And, you know, my wife, I'm 75, my wife will go, well, why don't you retire? We have plenty of money. You've made a huge difference. I go, and do what? Play golf all day? 
<laughs> that would not be fun. What's fun for me is like, I'm having a good time doing this interview. I literally was telling that story and I was saying, I'm smiling. I'm enjoying myself. Why? Because I love to share stories. I love to teach. I love to enlighten people and so forth. So I guess I don't know what else I would do. It's just like, it's too much fun for me. What is bliss for Jack Canfield? I would say bliss is being 100% present with something I love, either a person like my grandson, as you said, or with something I'm doing, like teaching, or I get bliss out of going around my property and just gardening, you know, like <laughs> cutting lead, dead leaves off stuff and making things prettier. And I guess I'm addicted to improvement. <laughs> I, love, I love to make things better. And then I would say finally humor. You know, I start all my seminars with cartoons. I do a lot of humor throughout my workshops. I privately, I tell a lot of irreverent jokes that I really enjoy with my friends. And um, so laughing is is fun. And, uh, you know, I, I talk about my family. You know, I, my family's expanded. We have what we now call the Canfield family. There's about 10,000 people in that family. They're all graduates of our trainings. They come back. They assist in the trainings. We're now training trainers. We've trained 3,000 people to do this work in 107 wow. countries. So that is very important to me. That when I, when I hear people that they've run a seminar in Nepal after the earthquake, they were going around to villages running self-empowerment you know, uh, seminars so that people would think they could rebuild their villages. Uh, people that are working with homeless people on the streets, that are working with, in the prisons, that are working with, um, you know, in the schools with kids in the bottom quartile of the classes that normally would drop out. And now they're not dropping out. Um, that's bliss. That's bliss. I, I always say that one, one of the things I've learned is that instead of chasing happiness, we have to chase peace of mind and that happiness will, will often ensue once we have that calm and that peace of mind. Mm -hmm. And so meditating, I think, mm -hmm. is so important. And I know you believe in it. Why is it so important? Well, there's a ton of research that shows that meditation impacts almost everything in a positive way. Your blood sugar levels, your serotonin and, and, and you know, dopamine levels, which are the, the feel-good feelings in your brain, lowering oxytocin, uh, you know, uh, or cortisol, rather, oxytocin you want, but cortisol going down, it, longevity, health, uh, relationships work better, you're calmer, you're more creative, you know, like I came up with the chicken soup for the soul title of meditation. So there's so many benefits. And, you know, meditation, everyone thinks it's some kind of big woo-woo thing. You got to go to a temple and sit cross-legged and some Buddhist is going to teach you how to meditate. We now have millions of mindfulness teachers. Mindfulness is just coming present to what's going on, you know, closing your eyes, focusing on your breathing, notice what you're experiencing in your body, you know, maybe visualizing something positive or just staying with your breath, letting your thoughts go by, not getting attached to your thoughts. And if you can master meditation and meditate on a regular basis, which I do, um, you're just a better human being on every level. I, you know, I plan to live to be 106. That's my <laughs> I and, hope uh, you do. <laughs> meditation is going to be a big part of that. The One Day to Greatness live event with Jack Canfield is on October 26th. You just Google Jack Canfield for tickets. It's taking place at the Westin Prince Hotel, and tickets are selling fast. You want to get them now. And I just want to ask you, could you lead us out in even a 20-second meditation? Sure, just go to live Jack Canfield Live is where you want to go. But anyway, uh, sure, close your eyes. And begin to imagine that you have a hole in the middle of your chest that goes, when you breathe, the air is going to come right into your heart. And so take a few deep breaths and imagine the air going into your heart and exhaling through your heart. 
And with each breath, as you imagine breathing in your heart, imagine your heart expanding and then think of someone or someplace or something you totally appreciate that you're grateful for. It could be your wife, your dog, your guitar, a special place in nature. And with each breath, slow, deep breath, heart expanding, focusing on someone you love and appreciate. And just notice how that begins to change your experience of yourself. And you may find a smile on your face. And meditation can be as simple as that. It's been an absolute honor and a pleasure to have you on the program, Jack Canfield. I thank you so much. Thank you, Judy. For finding your bliss, I'm Judy Liebrach, reminding you all to take one step closer to finding your bliss. Finding Your Bliss is brought to you by CREATE, Canada's leading fertility centre for over 25 years. CREATE is here for anyone struggling with infertility or in need of assisted reproductive technology to have children. CREATE is about cutting-edge science from highly skilled doctors. In unprecedented times like these, CREATE is about ensuring the safety of all patients and staff. CREATE has made important changes to protect you by ensuring social distancing, wearing masks, as well as screening before entering. So what about the bundle of joy that you've been hoping would come into your family? CREATE Fertility Center is here for you. Visit createivf.com to keep up with the latest changes and learn about CREATE Fertility Center's comprehensive care for every fertility journey. Keep safe and healthy during these challenging days, remembering that life is about moments that we create together. everyone and welcome to Finding Your Bliss, a show that helps you find and follow your bliss. I'm Judy Liebrach and earlier in this week I had the pleasure of sitting down with Jack Canfield for a whole hour. Here is our conversation. Jack Canfield is an American author, motivational speaker, corporate trainer, and entrepreneur. You may know him as the beloved originator and co-author of the Chicken Soup for the Soul series, which has more than a fantastic 250 titles and 500 million copies in print in over 40 languages. But I know him best for a book that I have devoured on many occasions and shared in my columns and Bliss Minutes. And I have that book right here with me now, and it is called The Success Principles, How to Get from Where You Are to Where You Want to Be. Affectionately known as America's number one success coach, Jack has studied and reported on what makes successful people different. He knows what motivates them, what inspires them, and what drives them. A Harvard grad, multiple New York Times bestselling author, he also won the Guinness Book of World Records for having seven books, if you can imagine, on the New York Times bestseller list all at the same time. He has been interviewed on over a thousand shows, including Oprah, The Today Show, Larry King Live, and 2020, just to name a few. He's been inducted into the Speaker's Hall of Fame. And what's fascinating is that inspired by the stories in Chicken Soup for the Soul, he went on to write books like The Success Principles and many others, which help all of us to find and follow our our bliss. He also does instructional videos, writes a blog that is chock full of so many goodies, so many great and helpful ideas and suggestions. And then he even goes on tour all over the world, sharing his passion and expertise in workshops and speaking engagements. And we are so lucky that he's coming to Toronto on October 26th 
for the One Day to Greatness live event with Jack Canfield. It's taking place at the Weston Prince Hotel and tickets are selling fast. You will want to log on and order your tickets now. It is such an honor to have Jack Canfield with us on Zoomer Radio, AM 740, FM 96.7. Jack, welcome. Thank you, Judy. My pleasure. Jack, I, before we, we start talking about all of the wonderful things we've done, I want to make sure that we really plug this wonderful conference, the One Day to Greatness live event. How can people get tickets for this event? Uh, just go to jackcanfieldlive.com or jackcanfieldtoronto.com. Either one will get you there, and you can register right there, and it's going to be an amazing day. We've done now a tour all around the United States and bring it to Canada for the first time. And people have been just loving it and having major breakthroughs. And I get letters and emails every day about people out of terrible relationships, starting their own companies. You know, it's really exciting. That's so wonderful. I'm so excited and I'm hoping to come after my show. I'm doing a live show that day, but I want to zoom over there after if I'm able to, uh, to see you in person. There are people who I think really are on this planet, Jack, to elevate others and bring them closer to achieving more happiness and bliss, nirvana. And I think you are one of those people. Did you always know you were destined for this greatness? Well, not for a while. I was just a typical teenager growing up in America. I wanted to get good grades, date, get into college, things like that. And, but when I was in graduate school of education, we were being led through a guided visualization to go back to the earliest time when you can remember deciding to become a teacher. And I went back to literally before I was born, and it was really weird. And so the whole thing was I was floating above the earth looking down and saying, geez, there's World War II going on down there. I was born in 1944, and uh, I want to make a difference. So I, I think I chose to incarnate, and later in graduate school, I kind of remembered that I wanted to make a big difference in the world. <laughs> and then later I was in a workshop with a woman named Jean Houston, and we were doing another guided visualization where we were supposed to um, – close our eyes and imagine planting a seed and then what flower would that grow into? And everybody else was like, you know, it was a carnation. It was a rose. And mine was bamboo. And it just kept <laughs> spreading all around the world. Cause if you plant bamboo, it just keeps spreading and spreading and spreading and spreading until literally the whole world was covered in bamboo and it was going up to the moon. I thought, wow, I thought I was an egotist, some kind of crazy person. <laughs> you, you just have a big purpose on earth. And then finally, when Chicken Soup for the Soul was published and it sold 10 million copies in a couple of years, became aware that we really could make a difference. And then you know, now we're at a half a billion copies sold in 51 languages around the world. So little by little, it kind of unfolded. Uh, but it wasn't until Chicken Soup that I really sensed, wow, I can really make a huge difference. Chicken Soup for the Soul really is your brainchild. How did that all evolve? How did that all come about? I was going around teaching teachers uh, for a lot of years as you know, from my graduate school of education work, teaching them self-esteem, how to raise self-esteem in the classroom. And uh, one day someone said, you know, that story you told about the Girl Scout uh, who sold 3000 boxes of Girl Scout cookies. Mm. I want, I want to read that to my daughter. Do you have that anywhere? Is it in a book? And I said, no. And this would happen day after day after day for about three months. People would say the story about the puppy, the story about the boy with the one leg. And I go, no, no, no. So I'm flying back from Boston to LA where I was living at the time. And I just thought, oh my God, you know, the universe is telling me put these stories in a book. So I decided I would write two stories a week. And at the end of a year, I'd have a hundred stories. 
And so that's pretty much what I did. And then in the middle of that, I met Mark Victor Hansen, who became my co-author. And then the other story that most people don't know is how do we get the title? Mm-hmm. So Mark and I agreed we would meditate and ask for a title. And on day three, of, we meditated an hour a day separately, you know, he and his home, my, my, me and mine. But on day three, I saw this big chalkboard, like a green chalkboard at school emerge, and a hand came out and wrote chicken soup on it. And, um, and I said to this hand, you know, in my mind, uh, what, what does chicken soup have to do with this book? And the voice said, well, when you were sick as a child, your grandmother gave you chicken soup. I said, but uh-huh. this is not a book about sick people. And the voice said, people's spirits are sick. They're in depression. They're, they're living in resignation and fear and hopelessness. And this was during the first recession around 1993, the Gulf War. And so I thought chicken soup for the spirit. No, chicken soup for the soul. Then I got goosebumps. Told my wife she got goosebumps. Called Mark. She got goosebumps. My agent got goosebumps. Went to New York. Talked to 21 publishers. Nobody got goosebumps. <laughs> so... <laughs> <laughs> so that, that book was rejected over the course of, I think, 14 months uh, by 144 publishers. No and, kidding. Oh, my goodness. No kidding. Yeah. So eventually, uh, we, the 145th publisher said yes. And um, we said, how many copies do you think you'll sell? And he said, oh, maybe 20,000. We said, that's not our vision. He said, what's your vision? We said, a, a million in a year and a half. And he said, you guys are crazy. We said, no, we're visionaries. We're entrepreneurs and we think we can do it. And we sold 1.3 million in a year and a half. So we did what we said we would do. Do you think that having that vision board or that visualization, as it were, in addition to the great product that you had is what led to the success of this? I think it was three things. I think the book was fabulous and the short stories, people want to read them. They're easy to do. And you can read one, you know, sitting while you're eating your breakfast or something. Number two, I think that we did a lot of visualization and, you know, imagine the book selling well. We would imagine we'd close our eyes and visualize whole bookstore windows full of chicken soup books, which eventually happened. Visualization is really important and affirmations. But the big thing also was you have to take action. And so Mark and I came up with this uh, principle called the rule of five, where every day we would take five action steps, six days a week. And we would go and, you know, call five radio stations or send out five free books to newspapers or call up five bookstores and ask them if they had copies in print or call up five army base where they have the PXs, where the people shop and ask them if they had the book. And we didn't, we'd send them. But every day, five things a day. We did that for, I think it was 16 months before the book hit a bestseller list. But then when it hit, it stayed there for number one on the New York Times for three years. That is absolutely brilliant. I have a favorite story in Chicken Soup for the Couple's Soul, inspirational mm-hmm. stories about love and relationships. And that's the George and Gracie story. I love that story so much. Uh, they're um, great. They're great they're, people. They're so great. Is there one for you that really stands out out of the 250 titles that uh, just resonates with you? I'm sure there's many, but is there one that you could share with us? It, the story is called Puppies for Sale. It's about a little boy who is walking through the mall and there's a sign in a window. It's not a pet store. It's just a retail store and it says puppies for sale. So the little boy walks in and he says to the owner, I see you have a sign that says puppies for sale. He says, yeah, I do. He says, um, how much are they? He says, well, anywhere from, I don't know, from 20 to 50 bucks, depending on the dog. And he said, can I see them? And he said, sure. So the owner whistled and out from back of the counter came this dog named Lady with five little tiny balls of fur behind her. And he looks down and he says, oh my God, 
I, those are really cute. He says, how much is that one? There was one puppy who was limping. And he mm-hmm. said, how much is that puppy? And the guy said, well, that puppy, you don't want him. He can't walk normal. He's, um, you know, been limping ever since he was born. Uh, you, you want a puppy that can run and jump and play with you. And he said, no, I really want that puppy. How much? And he said, well, I would give you that puppy for free. And the boy said, no, I'll pay full price. I think that puppy deserves to be paid full price for. How much is it? And the guy says, well, $20. So the little kid says, can I give you $5 now and $5 a week for four weeks? And the guy says, sure. He said, but you don't really want that puppy, do you? And he said, yeah, I do. And he reached down and he pulled up his left pant leg and it revealed a badly twisted left leg with a metal brace around it. And he said, you see, mister, I don't run and jump so well myself. And the little puppy is going to need someone who understands. Oh, dear. That's so incredible. I love that story. I think that's that's my new favorite. (laughs) (laughs) That's so good. Yeah. I just love that. I love that. Wow. Okay, so Chicken Soup for the Soul is on its way and it's doing all this good stuff. And you've got Chicken Soup for the Couple Soul and, and Chicken Soup of your, uh, about pets and about Chicken Soup for new mums. And it, it goes on and on. It's just wonderful. Mm-hmm. And, and I, I love it. Um, there's a book, though, that I adore of yours. And I know you've written many, many books. But that book is The Success Principles how to get from where you are to where you want to be. And honestly, Jack, it's been my Bible as a life coach. It's been a book that I've talked about in numerous columns. I used to write a column called The Life Coach Corner. I've done many bliss minutes on my Instagram account about it. I just love that book. And I really want to dissect it a bit with you because I just think it's it's unbelievable. And uh, one of the things that you talk about from the very beginning is taking responsibility for your life, owning it. What a great springboard for everything. What do you mean about owning your own stuff and taking responsibility? Well, you either approach life that I'm 100% responsible for everything I'm experiencing, or you approach life thinking that other people are responsible for your experiences, like my parents. If my parents hadn't been alcoholics, if only I'd been born richer, if my grandfather hadn't abused me, if the kids in school hadn't bullied me, if the teacher had liked me, you know, all of that kind of stuff. We blame the government, just all kinds of things. The weather, uh, we blame the traffic for being late. You know, it's funny how people will be late every day to work and blame the traffic, but they're late every day. So it's called leave earlier, you know? So it's like, you know, the reality is that you either get to approach life as a victim or what I call you approach life as a victor. And every time you're blaming someone or you're complaining about someone, uh, instead of just creating what you want, um, it, it leaves you in a, in a powerless place. And we have a lot of language like I can't. Uh, whenever you say I can't, it actually weakens your muscular system and it, it shuts down your brain to not be as effective as you say I can and I will. Yes. I will sometimes have people say, I'll try to lift this thing up. And they always shake their arm like it weighs 20 times pounds more than it does, you know. <laughs> and so we want to eliminate that, those kind of language. I have to. They made me. You know, no one can make you do anything. Uh, even if they put a gun to your head, you, it, it, I, you still don't have to do what they say. And so it's always a choice. And so you want to lead your life from a place of 100% responsibility. I always say 100% because I'll ask people, how would you like to be married to someone who was 99% committed to monogamy? <laughs> you know, you'd always wonder, is today the day, you know? 
<laughs> so when you make that commitment that I'm not, I'm going to give up blaming, give up complaining, give up excuse making right. and, and realize, and here's the powerful thing. I just spent about an hour yesterday talking to a quantum physicist at a conference I was at. And what's become more and more clear to me is the way the universe works. I mean, I've always known it theoretically, but now the science was there to back it up that we actually create reality with our mind. We create reality with the thoughts we think, the emotions we feel, the images we have, the actions we take. And so what happens is that most people don't know that. So we walk around talking about all the negative things in our life, not realizing we're creating more negative things. And so you literally have to become a, a positive thinker, if you will, someone that believes in your abilities, believes in the possibility of creating anything that you want to create. Um, you know, I have books like the chicken soup books and also stories in the success principles of people with one leg who climb Mount Everest. Re recently, a friend of mine climbed, he has, he has no arms past the elbows and no legs past the knees. And he climbed Mount Kilimanjaro, the first person to crawl to the top. And wow. so literally anything is possible. I have a picture of a guy who only has one hand on the end of one arm, the other hand, the other arm, it just ends in a stub and he only wears one glove and he's never been knocked out as a boxer. <laughs> and so the reality is that we can do anything we set our mind to, but we, we are so conditioned by our parents, by our own limiting decisions we made as a kid that we don't believe that. And so your beliefs create your reality. And then obviously we act based according to our beliefs. If I were to tell you, I'm going to run a seminar where I teach you to levitate a foot off your chair for five minutes, you wouldn't sign up because you don't believe that's possible. Mm -hmm. You've never seen anyone do it. There's no video. There's no reports of it. And so you wouldn't act because it doesn't match your beliefs. And so you've got to change your beliefs first and then act in accordance with those beliefs. So we can study the beliefs of winners. Who are the Olympic athletes? Who are the billionaires? And what do they believe that's different than what most people believe? We can adopt those beliefs, start doing the things they do, read the books they read, think the way they think, act the way they do, and we can also achieve the same things. When we come back, we will talk about my favorite part of Jack Hanfield's book, some great tips and exercises on how to connect with our purpose. Back in a moment. Finding Your Bliss is brought to you by CREATE, Canada's leading fertility centre for over 25 years. CREATE is here for anyone struggling with infertility or in need of assisted reproductive technology to have children. CREATE is about cutting-edge science from highly skilled doctors. In unprecedented times like these, CREATE is about ensuring the safety of all patients and staff. CREATE has made important changes to protect you by ensuring social distancing, wearing masks, as well as screening before entering. So what about the bundle of joy that you've been hoping would come into your family? CREATE Fertility Center is here for you. Visit createivf.com to keep up with the latest changes and learn about CREATE Fertility Center's comprehensive care for every fertility journey. Keep safe and healthy during these challenging days, remembering that life is about moments that we create together. Welcome back to Finding Your Bliss. You're listening to my conversation with Jack Canfield. What I love the most in the success principles, Jack, is what you say about purpose and how to start tapping in to what your unique calling is and how once you're living on and in purpose, everything really does make sense and it all comes together. For some of us, it's very clear, but for others, it is a real struggle. And I know when I'm coaching someone, often the answer to purpose is, I don't know. How can we help people know? 
Well, there are a number of exercises that are valuable to get in touch with your purpose, your life purpose, the purpose of your company, whatever. But I think one of the things for life purpose that I teach is something called a joy review. When you're doing activities that are leading to the fulfillment of your purpose, then you're going to experience joy. And not every minute you're ecstatic, but you're you're not sitting there resenting what you're doing. You're enjoying it. So right. I love teaching. I love coaching. I love writing. I love, you know, running seminars all over the world and so forth. Love to travel. So it makes it easy to do that. So, but if I'm doing something like someone tried to get me in a multi-level marketing company once selling, um, I think it was water filters. Mm-hmm. And I, I did it because I was, you know, I'm a good salesperson, but I never really enjoyed it. Because it really wasn't aligned with my purpose. And so I think if you look back and look at your life, I had a woman who, she was Miss Virginia. She's a very attractive woman, very successful. And she was at Ohio State University training to be a veterinarian. She loved animals. Everyone said you should be a vet. Well, she loved animals, but she didn't particularly love biochemistry and anatomy and physiology and biology and all of that. And so she was miserably depressed. And one day she said, well, when was I happy? I haven't been happy in two years. And she said, God, when I was, when I was running the student council in high school, when I was being a leader in my sorority here at the university, and she started to realize every time she was in a leadership position, she felt happy. And so she went to the university and said, I want to change my major to leadership. They didn't even have such a major at Ohio State at the time. But she said, can I take communication skills and speech and persuasion and psychology and so forth? And can I do some independent study with some leaders? At the age of 24, when she graduated, she was teaching leaders at the Pentagon leadership. And to this day, she has a, a foundation teaching young girls and women leadership and very, very successful. Oh, I love that story. I love the life purpose exercise. Now, in my book, it's on page 23, and I scribbled in all of my answers years mm-hmm. ago, and they still apply. But what, what is the yellow notebook? Well, let me, let, me, let me just do this. Let me go back. Let me walk people through that exercise really quickly. Sure. So, so in my book, there's an exercise called the life purpose exercise. I said there's many ways to get into this, guided visualization, you know, asking your higher self, angels, whatever. But this is a very simple thing everyone can do. If you get the book, it's there. If not, you can just think about it now. What are two things that, what are two qualities that you love to express? So for me, it's love and joy. Mm-hmm. I'm a very loving person, I'm very joyful. I love to express those qualities. And then the next question is, what are two ways you love expressing those qualities when you're interacting with other people? Mm-hmm. And for me, it's inspiring them with chicken soup type stories and empowering them by teaching them the kind of tools that are in the success principles. Mm-hmm. And then the last question is, how would the world, what would the world be doing? How would it look? What would people be doing if the world was perfect according to you? And some people will say, well, everyone will be living an ecologically sustainable lifestyle. Someone else might say everyone's taking a hundred responsibility for themselves. So we don't have to have welfare. Someone else might say everyone's being loving, empathic and compassionate. Someone else might say they're all, you know, being responsible citizens. Now you put all that together using my love and my joy to inspire and empower people to bring about a world where everyone lives their highest vision. That's my life purpose. Oh, okay. So, I just got the, I just got the, uh, the shivers because that's exactly goosebumps. That's exactly um, 
what I want people to be able to do and what I want people to be able to get out of this program. I might even just take those lines that you just said and put them um, out there on our Zoomer website and on our, uh, you know, finding your bliss at the bliss minute website so that people can really work with that exercise and start tapping into their own purpose. It's just fantastic. That's a great way to get ourselves started. And so next is the yellow notebook. Uh Good one. Well, it's a story that basically talks about honoring your preferences. I was in a workshop with a woman who was teaching self-esteem and because uh, uh, I was a teacher of self-esteem. I wanted to see what I could learn from her. And and everyone got a notebook, a little spiral-bound notebook. And, and the one it was on the chair when you came in. I sat down and my chair had a yellow notebook on it. I don't particularly like the color yellow. I don't look good in yellow shirts. I can't wear a yellow tie. But the person next to me had a blue notebook. I love the color blue. I'm sitting there in a state of kind of resentment almost, like irritation. Like, how come I didn't get a blue notebook? And then the leader of the workshop said, by the way, if you don't like the color of the workbook you have, trade with somebody. Wow. Never occurred to me. I was just sitting there being <laughs> upset, you know. And so I asked her if she was willing to trade, and she said yes. And what I learned from that was how many years I'd spent not asking for what I wanted, you know, afraid of being an imposition, you know, all that kind of stuff. And that literally changed my life and made me realize, hey, if I want something, I, I have a right to ask for it and try to get it as best I can. And don't settle for less than what you want. Absolutely. And believing it's possible is half the battle. Can you speak on believing it's possible and how to start believing in yourself? Because I don't think dreams even can start unfolding until you have that confidence and that belief in yourself. Yeah, I think two things are true. One, belief is a choice. You can either choose to believe you're amazing and have the skills and talents you need, or you can choose to believe you're not. And a lot of times we have these situations where something happens to us and we make a decision, usually between the ages of three and eight, that we're not lovable, we're not smart, we're not attractive, we're not athletic, you know, whatever it might be. And so we have to, as adults, kind of surface these limiting beliefs and then notice what they are and then change them back to a positive belief. And one of the things that's really critical is that there are some techniques out there that you can learn to go back in time and and surface these limiting beliefs. And I really encourage people to do that kind of belief work. But just ask yourself, what would I have to believe to achieve what I want to achieve? You know, a lot of people believe they have to have a college degree to be successful. Well, I have a whole chapter in the success principles about people who never graduated from college who were super successful. Bill Gates, who started Microsoft, did not graduate from college. Michael Dell, who started Dell Computers, did not graduate from college. Dick Cheney, vice president in America under George Bush, did not graduate from college. So we have all these beliefs that aren't true. The main thing is just to choose to believe that you can do it. And then turn that into an affirmation, post it on your wall. The other thing that's really important too, Judy, is this. Self-confidence is the result of surviving a risk. So if I go out and I play volleyball and I survive, I don't die. Maybe I didn't win the game, but at least I didn't make a fool of myself. I have more confidence about playing volleyball. If I give a speech and nobody throws a tomato at me, I have more confidence. So pick little things that are not not so big. You don't want to give your first speech to a thousand people. You start with 10 people in your family or, you know, a small group or whatever. Build up slowly over time. You know, my groups when I started were 30 people. Now I speak to groups of 10,000 people, but it was steps over many, many years that got me there. And so uh, take the risks, survive them, keep building, believe it, and then take the actions based on those beliefs. 
and take the next baby step. That's brilliant. You suggest creating a goal book and carrying your most important goal with you every day in your wallet. What is that? Well, there's two kinds of goal books. One where you just write down your goals. And what I think is better is you devote one page to every goal and then you find pictures. It's like a little mini vision board. Each page becomes a vision board in a three ring binder, a notebook for your goals. So if one of your goals own a certain car, you'd go get a big picture of the car from the dealership or get a picture of you taking, sitting inside the car, looking out the window. Mm -hmm. uh, if, your, if your goal is to be a certain weight, you might find someone who has that body weight and then Photoshop your head on top of it and <laughs> oh, so on and so forth. <laughs> your book is chock full of so many ideas. Chunking. You talk about chunking as being a great skill. What does that mean? Well, whenever you have a big goal, you need to chunk it down into small steps. So I might have a goal, like I mentioned, the right chicken soup for the soul, uh, even though I didn't have a title at the time. But how I chunked it down was I'm going to write two stories a week, which means I only have to write one story every three and a half days. <laughs> and so it made it more easily to think about it. You know, I might want to be a concert pianist. Well, the first step might be to, you know, go take piano lessons or learn Claire de Lune on the, the piano and uh, not, not try to play Beethoven's Fifth Symphony or, you know, all, all by yourself on your first lesson. So, you know, someone gave me a guitar when I was 16. I learned to play the song Little Brown Jug, it had two chords, D and A. And, you know, now I can do riffs up and down the keyboard, but I couldn't have done that when I was young. So, Take your big goals and chunk it down to small little baby steps and then take those baby steps one at a time. If your keyboard was near you right now, I'd ask you to play me one of those riffs. <laughs> <laughs> you um, also are a big believer in, as I am, in affirmations. And I often just reuse the best ones that Louise Hay suggests because I think, why not? They're tried and true. But you actually have some guidelines for creating custom-made your very own affirmations. What are some of your top tips on how to do this and why are affirmations so effective? Well, let's start with the second question first. Affirmations are effective because your brain thinks thoughts. And when you're thinking a thought, it, it's programming the subconscious mind to bring about that result. So if you say everything I eat goes straight to my hips, your subconscious says, take everything she eats and put it on her hips. <laughs> and so Literally, that's kind of the way it works. So there's two kind of affirmations. One are just affirming positive qualities about yourself. I'm a strong person. I'm smart. I can do anything I want to do. Those kind. The ones I teach mostly are, are what I call goal um, achievement affirmations, where you want a result or a result affirmation. So uh, I could have an affirmation. I am so happy and grateful that I've just completed my new book, Choose Love, Not Fear. And so I'm affirming that I've already achieved that goal. What you want to do then is the guidelines are you always want to start with the words I am because the subconscious takes anything that follows I am as a command. The second thing, it always needs to be positive. You don't want an affirmation that says I no longer smoke cigarettes because the subconscious is not here, the not or the no longer or never. And so if I say to you right now, don't think of elephants, what image comes up in your brain? Elephants and elephants and elephants. <laughs> exactly. So if I don't want you to think of elephants, I, can say, I want you to think of a beautiful red rose. And you're not going to be thinking of an elephant. Right. So never say, don't slam the door. Always say, you know, close the door softly. So affirmations are the same thing. Always stated in the positive. It wants to be brief so you can remember it. Uh, it can be rhyming. I, the, why is it kids can memorize pop songs, but they can't remember their history facts? That's because right. they, they rhyme. And so, you know, I'm feeling alive at 185, you know, for your weight. 
kind of thing, you know, uh, is really good because the subconscious likes that. Uh, always make affirmations for yourself, not other people. Don't say I'm happily watching my son clean up his room. Uh, you know, <laughs> things like that. That's but I, I love, you know, Bob Proctor has a real simple uh, formula I teach people in my shorter workshops. Just say, I'm so happy and grateful because you have to have a feeling word in it. Every affirmation is leading toward you feeling something better. So if you're feeling gratitude and happiness, people want that. So I'm so happy and grateful that I'm now, you know, receiving a million dollar royalty check from my publisher. And it's really, it's a really simple formula everyone can remember. It sounds great. I love your exercise called the Millionaire Cocktail Party. It mm -hmm. has to do with acting as if, which I believe in as well very much. What is the Millionaire Cocktail Party and how can it help when you act as if? Well, basically, I was leading a seminar once and I was wanting people to imagine what it would feel like to be a millionaire. So I just said, everybody stand up and pretend you're a millionaire. And I want you to mill around for the next 10 minutes and just act as if we're at a cocktail party and you're a millionaire. Or if you're already rich, you know, you're a multimillionaire. You're worth 10 million, <laughs> whatever is going to be a bigger number for you. Everybody was confident. They were talking about their private jet. They were talking about the money they just <laughs> And everybody was having a good time and they were generous and there was a lot of laughter. And then I said, so how'd that feel? And everyone said, great. And I said, well, what were the qualities of your feeling? They said, well, self-confidence and aliveness and all this. And I said, but guess what? You aren't really a millionaire. But as soon as you decide to act like one, your behavior changed. So start acting like that already. And we morphed that into something we now call a come as you'll be party, where at the end of all of my longer seminars, my three and five day seminars, we end with a cocktail party for an hour and a half before dinner. And it's a real cocktail party. And people come as the person they would be five years from now if they'd achieved all their goals. And people bring books that they've written. You know, they put new bindings on the front of old books and stuff. They bring trophies they won. One person wanted to be interviewing people on the red carpet, you know, at the Oscars. She actually rented a videographer and a red carpet. And as people <laughs> coming into the, the, the party, she was interviewing them about what they'd Great. achieved in the last five years. We've had people rent tour buses because they were a rock star and bring us all out to their tour bus. But the thing is, we, the hardest thing to do when we do the exercise is to get people to stop. They just want to keep going because they're having so much fun. And what's really amazing, almost everyone in my workshops will achieve those things we talked about in that five-year period, many of them in the next six months. Mm, what a fantastic idea. My People have to come to your conference, the One Day to Greatness with Jack Canfield on October 26th, just to do that, to, to do that exercise alone. That sounds amazing. Um, there's many people who have great ideas, but they get stuck and they're paralyzed to move forward. And I've always loved the expression, 99% perspiration, 1% inspiration. How can people begin to take action? Well, you know, action, go back to the chunk it down. Don't start with the biggest, scariest action. You know, start with something you can do. Um, but then what happens... Have you ever had the experience where you didn't want to clean up the kitchen, didn't want to do the dishes? You say, well, I'll just do the glasses. <laughs> and then the next thing you know, you're washing the silverware. And the next thing you know, you're washing the plates. And the next thing you know, you're cleaning the sink. And the next <laughs> thing you know, you're scrubbing the floor, you know, because <laughs> as you got into action, it built momentum. Of course, of course. So uh, I'll tell you a story about my, my wife. She was wanting to do couples workshops. And she was really afraid to call people, couples we knew, and ask them if they'd come to our house and for a weekend workshop. And so she got her friend Stephanie to come over and just hold her hand while she made the first five calls. Wow. And then after that, she, yeah, she survived the calls. Mm -hmm. 
And then she <laughs> told Stephanie, you can leave now. I know I got this. But, you know, sometimes we need to have that support and, and start with little things. And then we teach something called the rule of five, which simply says on your big goals, what are five little things you could do every day? Let's say it was to your goal was to lose 50 pounds. That's not an easy or short term goal. And yet, if every day I walk 20 minutes in the morning and 20 minutes at night after dinner, if I read one article or, you know, post somewhere about weight loss, if I drink eight glasses of water, which most people don't, which helps cleanse the body and pull the fat out, if I were to um, maybe uh, do, you know, 30 minutes of aerobics once every three days, two days, something like that. Little things you can do over time uh, that start to build up over time and, and lead to your goal. So just, you know, and the other thing is write down the actions you're going to take, put them on your schedule. Most people don't take action because they don't schedule them. That's right. And so if it's in your schedule, 10 o'clock, yeah. you know, meditate for five minutes, then 10 o'clock comes, you go, oh, I'm do supposed it. to. It's like exactly. a doctor's appointment, right? Or a dentist appointment. If you schedule it in, you're going to go to it. It's the same kind of thing. Schedule, schedule in those wonderful exercises for yourself. There's something I read on one of your blogs that I absolutely love. It's a wonderful exercise you wrote about recently where you say the most important question you can ask people is, how well did I do in my relationship with you this past week? And how can I do better? How can I turn that into a 10? Let's say it was a three or a four. How can mm -hmm. I turn that into a 10? And I love that. Can you explain what that's all about? Sure. One of the things that people don't do enough is ask for feedback. So we don't ask for feedback from our clients because we're afraid of what they're going to say. We don't ask for feedback from people who buy stuff from us because we're saying they didn't like it. It wasn't that good. Um, so a lot of us are afraid of feedback. And so I say you want feedback. Feedback is the breakfast of champions. And so in a relationship or in anything, it could be a sales call you just did. It could be you sold somebody a house. But in a relationship, you would ask your, I ask my wife this every week, on a scale of one to 10, how would you rate the quality of our relationship this past <laughs> week? Anything less than a 10 gets a follow-up question, which is what would it take to make it a 10? So for example, you know, some of the things my wife has said, I got as low as a four one week, by the way. <laughs> it was not fun to hear, but I was not paying attention to her. I wasn't putting the, the kids to bed because of NBA playoffs were going on. I wasn't making love. There was just a ton of stuff I wasn't doing. But the point is, you know, she might say to me, I'd say, well, what would it take to make it a 10? She might say, well, don't interrupt me when I'm telling a joke because you think you can tell the punchline better. It's mm -hmm. your job to put the kids to bed. And I don't want to have to remind you. I, I wake them up. You don't remind me. Um, one day she said, do you remember what the word foreplay means? I said, yeah. She said, you might want to revisit that. <laughs> so I said, okay. You know, um, but here's the deal. I want my wife to be ecstatic about our relationship. And if I don't know what she's not happy about, you don't want to let it build up until the time they explode and scream and yell and have a knockdown fight about how miserable they are. You know, on a regular basis, find out what would it take to make it a Tim. doesn't mean you have to do it, but at least you know what it is that the, your partner's wanting. You can ask that of your children. You can ask that of your students. You can ask that of your employees, your boss, you know, your clients, whatever. It's a powerful, I, I say it's, it's, it's one of the most powerful questions I ever learned to ask in my life. I love it. I think you can even ask that about yourself, right? You can even say in terms of yourself, how did I do, how well did I do in my relationship with myself this past week? Was Perfect. I kind enough? Was I loving enough to myself? And how can I do better? How can I turn that five into a 10? 
right? Absolutely. Absolutely. I, I was just in a, a, a conference this weekend where the whole thing was about love and how important self-love, self-nurturing, self-care, um, you know, just what do I want to say? Acknowledging the inner child in yourself, taking time for yourself. All that's so important. That's a good thing you just said. Thank you. Oh, that's a big compliment coming from Jack Canfield. Well, your chapter on passion in my book is so underlined, Jack. It's so dog-eared and full of markings. And I always come back to it because I know this, that passion and enthusiasm are the golden keys here. Can you talk about how fueling your success with passion and enthusiasm is everything and how to keep the passion alive in what you do? Well, the thing is to start by asking yourself, what am I passionate about? What do I love to do? It goes back to that question earlier about, you know, what do you love to do? And um, so for me, you know, I think if, I, if I'm aligned with my purpose and I'm doing things that move me toward it, toward the goals that would fulfill that purpose, like writing a book or developing a seminar or doing a tour, whatever it might be, then I am passionate about it. And I think the word enthusiasm comes from the Greek word entheos. Theos, T-H-E-O-S, is the root word of theology, which means basically God. And like the Greek word for God was deus, D-E-U-S, or Latin, I think was the deus. And so what happens is that you want to connect with that divine part of yourself that's looking for expression. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, and I think one of the challenging things for all of us is that sometimes the thing that we did that was we were passionate about, sometimes the passion dies. Mm-hmm. And, and it can mean either that you're not paying attention to the things that you really love about it, or that sometimes you're done with it. You know, I sold Chicken Soup for the Soul as a company about seven years ago. Mm-hmm. And I got to the point where I was reading stories that should have inspired me and they weren't inspiring me anymore. Mm-hmm. And I realized I've been kind of burned out on inspiration, which kind of sounds weird. Um, but it was. And so we sold the company. And that's when we got into the whole success principles work, which I'm still mm-hmm. passionate and enthusiastic about. Mm-hmm. But I think you have to find that thing that inspires you and then do it. And remember, remember your why. You know, sometimes someone once said, you know, when you're up to your ass in alligators, it's difficult to remember your initial objective was to drain the swamp, you know, <laughs> because you're just, you know, so many things that are coming at you. But, you know, what is your why? And sometimes you're doing things that are challenging and difficult, but when you realize it's because you want to have a great marriage or you want to have a business that makes a difference in the world or you want to end poverty or you want to end all of the environmental destruction that's going on in the world, then you're willing to do the things that matter. And then, you know, sometimes just bouncing up and down on a rebounder like Tony Robbins does before he comes out on stage, you know, (laughs) or jumping up and down and screaming, you know, or meditating or a lot of different ways to get back in touch with the the core essence of what you're doing and and you can get passionate, enthusiastic about it. I want to get back to meditation in a minute. I love that you brought that up. But every time you say yes to something, what are you saying no to? You write about how not to just delegate, but to eliminate. And one of your headlines is, if saying no is so important, why is it so hard to say? This is so true. I know a couple people in my life who have a very hard time saying no. What are some tips on how to say no and feel good about it? Well, you have to realize that, you, in other words, self-care and, and being able to focus on your own agenda, your own self-expression means sometimes you have to say no to other people. And I think most of us want to be loved. We want to be included. We want to be liked. We want to, you know, not be in the out group. We don't want people mad at us and so forth. And so one of the ways people manipulate us is by trying to make us feel guilty when we say no. 
you know, your mother calls and says, I, I, I want you to take me to the mall this afternoon. And you say, well, you know, mom, I'm working on my book. I've, I've got a deadline. I really don't want to do that. Uh, you can call Uber. And she says, honey, this is your mother. You know, I raised you. I, I, I changed your diapers, you know, whatever. And you say, you know, mom, and I really appreciate that. And right now, my highest priority, this is not against you. It's for me. I found that phrase is really useful. Mom, I said, I'm not deciding this against you. It's for me. But we don't want our mother mad at us. We don't want our boss mad at us. We, you know, and so it's very difficult. You, got, you have to learn to stand up. I think it's it's surviving that no that builds the confidence that you can say no, as we talked about earlier about the you know self confidence coming from surviving a risk. Mm-hmm. But for me, I found a, a couple of tips. One is you can say I have a po- someone wants to borrow your van. You say I have a policy. I never rent my van. I right. never I never lend my van. Sure. Now they're up against a policy, not just you being a jerk. You know, um, and the other thing is remind people of what your highest priority is. You know, they say, I want you to be on the PTA and bring cookies. Mm-hmm. And you say, uh, I really appreciate that. I love the PTA. I love what you're doing for my kids. And right now, my highest priority is my own health. And so I'll be in a Pilates class that day. Right. And and that, somehow when people hear you say, well, this is my higher priority, it makes it easier for them to hear it. Right. But you have to confront your your unwillingness to be unlike them. Someone said, you know, if you need other people's approval, you'll never be super successful. We are going to a short break. And when we come back, we will find out what strategic coach Dan Sullivan has to say about being a class act. Back in a moment. This podcast is proudly produced and presented by the Zoomer Podcast Network, home of great podcasts like Marilyn Lightstone Reads, Idea City on the Air, and The Garden Show. 